Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Mark, I feel we ought to talk about gym pumps because it's a subject that we've glossed over too many times in the past. We have, we've almost totally ignored athleisure, as I believe this, uh, this new market area is described. But no, yeah, come on, we're both experts. We're, you start. <laughs> gym pubs. Gym pubs. <laughs> gym pubs. Gym pubs are apparently made by firms called Nike and um, Adidas and... Uh, do they still have Dunlop, Green Flash, and so forth, Mark? Do they, they still have Slazzies and so forth, as they probably had when you and I were in that stage? Do you still own Do you own a pair of gym pumps, Mark? I have to know. Do you? Well, I do, actually. Yeah, right. I do. Um, I, I, well, I'm very rarely worn, of course, uh, but right. apart from for cycling, okay. for long-distance cycling. I do. do you have a pair? I always feel if a man's got beyond the age of 40 and he has more than one pair of gym pumps, he ought to have a serious word with himself, really. <laughs> it's all right if you're younger, but anyway. Um, There's a mate of mine who has a pair of, um, a pair of trainers, she calls uh, pub trainers, just for wearing in a pub. They kind, of, they kind of look a bit sporty, but you know, you're never going to take any exercise. And that's half the thing about, about gym pumps, isn't it? It's right. people buying shoes that make them look active when they're not active. They're actually make, sitting around drinking beer and watching the telly. What's that old Billy Connolly joke about something wrong with his feet? They wouldn't, wouldn't walk past pubs. <laughs> Somehow I'm reminded of that. Anyway, the point about this story is Kanye West. Um, and so a few years ago, Adidas came to the conclusion that the only way they were going to make up the significant gap in the market between them and the market leader Nike was to enter into a partnership with a high-profile popular culture celebrity like Kanye West. 
Because they, we, they Nike had done it with Michael Jordan, hadn't they? And 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 Nike Nike now own oh well that's it own fifty percent of the market and Adidas had only eight percent I think so they thought they wanted an edgy superstar didn't they? Well, so they signed Kanye West and they got themselves an edgy superstar, didn't they? But first of all, they they set to work or Kanye set to work designing said gym pumps, didn't he? With considerable success. And so the ones that were launched were an absolute phenomenal success in the marketplace, weren't they? People simply, you know, and you and I, I, I think well, there are obviously a million and one things that mark us out as old gits, but I think nothing more significant than the fact that we think popular music is important. Well, it's nothing like as important as gym pumps nowadays, is it? Well, no, because Kanye West had said that he wanted to be uh, an, an anchor in a trillion-dollar company, which is why he signed up, wasn't it? And as far as I can see, they were he was earning, at once say, something in the region of $100 million a year. He, that got, right? that he, was, was, the he was guaranteed. Guaranteed $100 million. Mi- just think about that, listeners, for a moment. There is nowhere else, not in movies... Certainly not in music, where you could be guaranteed that kind of sum of money every year. That Kanye West could, was guaranteed by Adidas under the terms of this deal. That that uh, puts the music industry in perspective. It really, it's where, it's where Rihanna has made most of her money. It's not through selling records. No, absolutely. I think well, that yeah. applies. I think it applies to most of these people. Yeah, you know, yeah, Beyonce and so forth. You know, it's fragrances, it's lingerie, it's it's whatever. You know. That's but then you can see that, that, that when he designed that shoe, it was, I mean, there were huge sales. And as far as I can see, they retail for about, is it $350? Yeah, I'm sure. So if it's $350 a pair, then you can see there is going to be an absolutely monumental it's a, it's profit. It's a fair margin. amount of fact it matters. It really is. <laughs> it really is. You know, that's how they afford to pay for the marketing, which justifies the price, isn't it? Yeah. Really? And, uh, but anyway... What they discovered quite early on in the relationship with Kanye was that he was a somewhat volunt- volatile business partner uh, and that they couldn't always rely on, on the smooth running of meetings and well, liaison what, sort between of themselves detail. and Kanye. I don't know what kind of detail we're going to go into, but, I mean, he, he, there was meetings where he, he presented them with his designs and they didn't like them, and he started drawing swastikas on the shoes. Was that there right? There you go. There you go. So, uh, and, uh, and used uh, language they thought was, was unacceptable. And then they did this deal with them, didn't they? They thought, this might go wrong, so they're going to renegotiate the contract and put into it uh, a clause about the fact that if he was convicted of felony, a felony conviction, a bankruptcy, a substance abuse treatment case or whatever then that would be cause for them to end the relationship and then of course they went on to have even more success and then he was even more preposterous wasn't he and appalling in his behavior unbelievably so i mean i again I, let's not get into any kind of details but it was just all that kind of anti-semitic stuff and he wanted and that says he wanted to call his album hitler didn't he he wanted to <laughs> he told told one of the jewish ceos of adidas that he should get a portrait of hitler's to hang in his kitchen, to 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 help him learn about unconditional love. So this is a very very difficult. Now we're skimming the surface here. Very absolutely. Very difficult. But the interesting thing is that the more they fell out, and the more successful they were, the more Adidas 
threw money at him. They renegotiated the contract and then wanted to offer him an additional $100 million a year on top of what he was earning. So, I mean, what do we learn from all this time? Well, I tell you what, a number of interesting things. Um, they have, they've, they've kind of dissolved the relationship, haven't they? Yeah. Recently. But apparently, what intrigues me is they've got in a warehouse somewhere, and I envisage the warehouse pretty much like the one that you see at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, into which they are <laughs> delivering the, the Ark yeah. in a packing case. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of utterly endless. Um, and it, and it's occupied by $300 million worth of Kanye designed shoes, which they, they can't decide what to do with really. You know, they can't be seen to put them on the market under the current, uh, conditions. But you can't help thinking that in 10 years time, Somebody, well, there'll be ten chief executives down the down the pike by then, won't they? And then somebody will go, you know, we've still got that warehouse full of uh, of Kanye designed pumps out in Arkansas. Well, why don't we just release them onto the market? A special, you know, limited edition. Yeah, this is the know, kind vintage of bootleg thousand, series thousand Yeah, thousand dollars <laughs> a time, you know, yeah. per shoe. You know what I mean? That's what will happen. But the other interesting thing is that um, is that Adidas had to kind of withdraw from it because they couldn't be seen to be in cahoots with a man who was so clearly beyond the pale in in all aspects of his behaviour, and yet there was no indication that the public buying the shoes had any problem with no. it at all. They didn't that, mind at all. That's the thing. They didn't mind at all. I thought that was really... Now, it used to be It used to be that companies used to say, now, we can't get into bed with somebody who's too controversial because if it, if it you know, blows back, people will blame us. You know what I mean? Well, they're not doing that anymore. It's, Adidas can't be seen to do doing it in the world of business. You know, fair enough. But but the public don't have any trouble with it at all. They don't have any trouble. I mean, it, it got them what they wanted. Was on Adidas. It got got them the attention they wanted. They got them the association, the the edginess. But I mean, I, I got the impression that a image is completely kind of pivotal, and b people are so blinded by this idea of celebrity and their celebrity. desire for celebrity, they were prepared to overlook all sorts of things and just go, "It's you know, it's Kanye being Kanye." And uh, I'm I'm absolutely staggered that people didn't seem to be affected by it, but they weren't. The other thing is that you can't help thinking, and you know, as you, you read about this story, and, and you know the extraordinary story of Kanye West in the last few years. You know, you you and I used to work on Smash Hits and Q and so forth, and you know. That, the whole idea of the, is the wide world of popular music, and you, know, you have all kinds of people. You have stable people you have wobbly people and you have people over there we used to commonly say they're barking mad yeah <laughs> and um and nowadays you can't obviously you can't say that anymore can you you know what I mean? but they're dealing with somebody in kanye west who is mentally ill it's yeah, no, obviously it's, it's that's sad i think he's obviously very 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 uh destabilized isn't he 
and uh, and not quite in control. But but, uh, but he's still still kind of operating. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Making a comeback album and so forth. You know, and it will. You know, the goalposts will be moved for him, won't they? <laughs> yeah, they will. When he does that, you know. And I, I just don't know, I don't know how you deal with popular music in this kind of, in this new world where, um, you know, where, where even the kind of, you know, the most apparently stable performer or whatever, you know, will... People will withdraw from a tour because they, they they won't say they won't say strain or whatever or whatever they would have said in the past. They'll say I'm worried about my mental health. Yeah, I'm heard of it. And the moment you see that, everyone goes, "Oh, okay, then that's fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine." It's kind of it's sort of understandable in the oh, sense yeah, that you know that that um, for years, you know, people have, have kind of volunteered to put themselves in situations. Where it's very difficult to keep your mental health intact, old imagine. You know what I mean? If you're whoever, if you're Harry Styles, or I mean, actually, the likes of Harry Styles and Taylor Swift seem like extraordinarily stable individuals. You know that—that's the impression you get. You know, but the kind of the level of um, the level of adulation and success. Just get greater all the time and intrusion. You know? Oh yeah! How, how you run? I was reading a book the other day about about the Eagles, and Don Henley was talking about how we just regularly people would be turning up at his house and at their office, claiming that they were they were married to him. You know that they they or they had children by him or whatever that they had some relationship. You know, and he said it's just so much of his life was just bogged down by dealing with these absolute lunatics. You know, yeah. and uh, you think how do you manage to kind of keep saying and make records <laughs> and function under those kind of circumstances. I just have no idea. Yeah, yeah. And you you do wonder if in the future people will be still volunteering to, to, to live that kind of life the way they have done in the past, you know what I mean? Because everybody would get, must go into it nowadays with their eyes open, mustn't they, in the, in the sense that they see the... They see the pressures. They see the fallouts. They see the which they didn't used to. They only used to see the champagne and the Rolls Royces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know that was the whole thing. Rod Stewart. That looks like a hundred percent a brilliant time. Yes, it does. I mean, what can possibly? I think I'd like to be a pop star. He's a very good investment. But uh, one has to take on board that it's like like the fallout of the Beatles. You know, the more you read about the. The, the, the four Beatles after the Beatles split, the more you realize they went through all sorts of misery trying to, trying to kind of get over it. In fact, did they ever fully ever get over any of them? I don't think you can. Don't can't you can't get over it. It's funny you say about Rod Stewart because it was, that was the whole act, wasn't it? Yeah. This is brilliant. It's all wonderful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you ever recall an interview with Rod Stewart over a long, long period of time? Where he said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a bit depressed. I'm a bit, Never. I'm a bit blue. You know, not ever. I don't Never. remember that. It may have. It oh, may Ross, have his whole thing was just reminding you of the trappings of success. Yeah, you know, just I've got this and you haven't. It's a yes, loads more, of money actually. Yeah, more trappings, more trappings, more trappings. <laughs> I, I went out when the second issue of Q went out to interview him in Milan." And the first thing he did at lunchtime was to go out and buy a watch, which I think he spent fifteen or twenty thousand pounds on. 
uh, which doesn't seem that much now. But 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 at the time in 1986, to spend £20,000 on a watch for yes. no reason at all, yeah. just because you can. And he did it, I think, deliberately to kind of impress me and to 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 to, to wrong foot me, whatever sarky little questions I might have as a kind of ex-enemy journalist about Rod Stewart and what Rod Stewart represents would be undermined by the fact that I've just bought a £20,000 watch and you have with Kelly Emberg on his arm, you know. He probably, probably took it back to the Milan branch of H. Samuel the day after you'd gone and got that's his right. money back. He <laughs> was only on loan, that's right. Yes. Exactly on loan. <laughs> Oh, so, oh, there you go. Kanye West, Jim Pumps, where will it all end? The Word Podcast, prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. 60 years ago, pretty much today, actually, with The Beatles came out, and it struck me that of all the things that were really significant about that record, and there were lots, you know, the, the, the turning point in the compositions, you know, um, all, all I Gotta Do, songs like that by, by John Lennon, it's kind of Motown pastiche, uh, all my loving, fantastic. And uh, the thing that really struck me was the cover. The cover mm-hmm. really changed the game because up until then, broadly, the covers of pop records were kind of, well, like the cover of the first Beatles album, actually, weren't they? They were kind of chirpy pictures of the people on the front the uh, people playing the songs who you didn't really get the impression they'd ever possibly written them, but it, they were just the pop acts and it was called for all very upbeat and fabulous. And, and that Robert Freeman, who took that picture, they said to him, can you, and he was a fashion photographer, wasn't he? It wasn't, it wasn't a kind of pop photographer it's from the fashion world. And they said, can you have a look at, he'd done all sorts of pictures of John Coltrane and stuff. He said, look at these pictures that, um, that uh, Astrid Kirscher took of us. And, uh, and look at the, we want some of that atmosphere. And they wanted, they want the pictures of them in kind of half shadow and they're not smiling and they're really artfully arranged, aren't they? And it's got an atmosphere to it. And I think it's extraordinary because it says this is a, a major change between, you know, the idea, this was the, the, a combination of them as kind of authentic British rock and roll stars with an element of that kind of bohemian, European kind of, uh, you know, art house cool that they had before. And uh, it just sort of said, we're not kind of grinning, kind of eager to please uh, pop stars, desperate for your attention and custom. We've got this kind of confidence and that we write these songs ourselves, etc. The worst example of this, although it was actually, I don't know, three years later still, was Pop Sound. It was uh, Pet Sounds, wasn't it? As you know, it was that two years later. When did Pet Sounds come out? 66? 66. 66. Yeah. See, Pet Sounds, one of the worst covers ever, in my view. <laughs> Don't you think? One of the most very, unrepresentative very covers. Odd. And, odd. you know, they did to the Beach Boys what EMI had done to, to, the, to the Beatles for their first time, which is, right, lads, go out for 20 minutes somewhere. We'll find a location. We'll no, you know the story. You know, no, you know the story. You know the story of the first album cover because it's worth telling this. So uh, they need to do a first album cover. And Brian Epstein, being theatrical, having gone to RADA, he contacts Britain's top theatrical photographer. It was a chap called Angus McBean. Oh, yeah. It was a rather grand figure. He used to taking pictures of John Gielgud and Donald Wolfitt and so forth. And uh, Angus meets them by appointment in reception at EMI, Manchester Square. 
And he doesn't have a lot of time to do it. They don't have a studio booked. So he says, tell you what, gentlemen, just go up onto the first floor landing and look over. And then he lies on his back in reception and he takes like six pictures and goes, that's fine. (laughs) We've got it. We've got it. And he had got it. Of course, that was the picture that they then returned, you know, however many years later, six years later, to reprise for what was supposed to be the cover of Get Back, wasn't it? It know? was. And was, was eventually same, used on the, is that the, the same blue, cover that the same cover that the Sex Pistols Sex Pistols posed in the same place, didn't they? Yeah, they, they, they did. They, and Blur did it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, of course, the other thing about, you know, the, the, the obvious thing about second Beatles album cover is, um, and the thing, the thing that made it really exceptional at the time, I'm pretty sure, is black and white. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, if you had a budget to have color, why would you not have color? Because color was kind of everything that music was supposed to be, everything that pop music was supposed to be, which is bright and appealing and modern and, you know, all those things. Whereas this was uh, this was an attempt to do major state to do something incredible. So I, I've t- I've told you the story about with the Beatles that Christmas in our house. Um, so 1963 Christmas, my sister and I got with the Beatles between us as our present. You couldn't you couldn't have it on your own, obviously. You know the record on your Too own. For goodness sake. Whatever it was, thirty-two and six. It was twenty, probably twenty-eight and something. I don't, I can't remember. And um, and we played it. We played it. Played it. And my uncle Stan, who wasn't really an uncle, but anyway, they used to visit us on Christmas Day or around Christmas. And he, Uncle Stan was a bit of a Frank Sinatra-style hipster, and, and so he used to enjoy pulling my leg about popular music and the shadows and whatever. And so he said, "What you? What have you got?" What record have you got? And I showed him this, and he looked at it, and he said, I'm going to come back next year, and I, I tell you what, you'll have completely forgotten about this lot. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And the poor bloke came back. Uncle Stan, here we are 60 years later, almost <laughs> to the day, still talking about her. <laughs> I'll never get tired of it. The story is true. I know, I know. <laughs> the other thing I, I, I used to say this to my to my kids a lot of the time when they weren't being very active. Used to talk about the work work rate. Used to mention the Beatles and work rate. The, I mean, we know the first album was recorded in the day, but the second album, yeah, it's the second album on the thirtieth of July, nineteen sixty three. Dave, I, I looked this up this morning. This is what they recorded. Okay, they recorded and finished. Please, Mister Postman, by the Marvelettes. They started It Won't Be Long, which they also finished later on in the day. So that's two songs completely done. They did Till There Was You. They did Money. They did, Money was just overdubs, actually. They finished Till There Was You. They did Chuck Berry's uh, Roll Over Beethoven. And they also recorded All My Loving. But, in, and that's five songs. But at lunchtime, they went down to Portland Place to record a session for Saturday Club. And they recorded Long Tall Sally, She Loves You, Glad All Over, Twist and Shout, You Really Got a Hold on Me, and I'll Get You. In the and middle of the day. And then went back to the studio. Yeah, so in the same day. So, so let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. They were, they were at Abbey Road, what, in the morning kind of yeah. thing. And then and then they said, all right. So sorry, their lunch break, while everyone break. else was saying. Yeah, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. So, so Mel Evans had to put all the stuff, take yeah. apart the drum kit, put it in the back of the van. Yes, they go in the well. They would have gone in the car probably, but Mal would have had to drive it down to Portland Place. Portland Place, find a place to park. Yeah, was it Portland Place? It wouldn't be. It it wouldn't would, be well, I would have thought so, wasn't it? Yeah, it not be, made available. Club. Maybe it was made available. It might have made well, but whatever. You'd have to go there. You'd yeah. have to park. You'd have to unload. You'd have to get everything set up. Then they'd have to come in, tune up, whatever, get a sound. And then do how many songs? They did six songs. They did six songs in their entirety. Probably just one take each, yeah, I'm probably, sure. Yeah. But then, God, this is while everyone else at, uh, at, the, at the session at Abbey Road is having a, a bottle of Newcastle Brown and a pork pie. And then they come back from that and carry on. And so they finish up recording and working on a lot of other songs too, but recording completely five whole new tracks. I still think it's absolutely staggering, especially as you think how many times you've heard those. How many times have you heard All My Loving or, or Till There Was You? Really complicated songs like Till There Was You. Astonishing. It is. I think it's fantastic. It is. So that's 60, 60 years ago. 60 today. years ago. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So share in another piping hot news. Cher is, is coming to London in a few weeks' time to promote it. I think it's the 27th hour. 27th. 27th. And that's 27 on our own, presumably. There'll be a lot more if you added in yeah. Sonny and Cher. And I can't so remember a world without Cher. I, I really can't, can't. I can't. Can they, they were a, a genuine phenomenon in the mid-60s. Yeah. Uh, they came to Britain and they spent a lot of time in Britain. They all, they all seemed to be spending a lot of time in Britain. They all seemed to be on the telly because nobody had seen anything like them. And they were... The kind of trailblazers in Britain for what what became hippies, really. Yeah. You know, the whole idea of Sonny Bono. 
Something about his shaggy jacket, that coat he used to wear. <laughs> do you remember that? And his and his haircut too. That kind of the and do you like remember a bowl cut that grew that, longer. That song, "Laugh at Me," you know what I mean? That uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit, a bit of a victim of society's disapproval. You know, is it not true at all? Sonny Bono was a kind of Hollywood hack. He'd been around, yeah. been around for years. You know co-written needles and pins and all this kind of stuff, mate of yeah. specters and all this. But Cher was this kind of taller, uh, you know, beautiful, younger wife, you know, and they were they, they were this vision of a kind of, it was a new world of kind of marital bliss, wasn't it, that Sonny and Cher offered? It was a kind of, it was like Richard Briers and Prunella scales, but without the suburbia, wasn't it? You know what I mean? That you could live this this life of domestic bliss on a scatter cushion in Laurel Canyon and so forth. You know, sitting there, um, you know, listening to your wind chimes and composing composing tunes. Yeah, there'd be and a hammock they, somewhere nearby. They, 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 Pulse and, foods, things we'd never heard of. And course, scented you know, candles. They were huge. And then they famously split up, and and he he famously went off and eventually became a Republican. Was he a senator? He was senator. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Congress, yeah, yeah. Which is just absolutely extraordinary. And she be, and then they no, actually, the two of them then became absolute prime time stars of American television. Didn't in the seventies the Sonny and Cher show where she would appear for in each show in some more extraordinary costume, generally designed by a chap called Bob Mackey, who specialised in, in, in doing, doing the most revealing, you know, costumes for Cher. And, and also had a sort of met, echo of First Nation about her, didn't she? Oh, yes, yes. Exciting at the time. Still yeah. Is. But still my most treasured memory of, of Cher is let's go back to the year 1989. <laughs> I don't even remember when she she was doing a series of singles that had been kind of masterminded, I think, by Jim Steinman, you know, the kind of sub-meat yeah. things. And they're, they're all very good in, the, in their way. And the one I remember with most fondness is If I Could Turn Back Time, so which is... Which is a, a classic tune for somebody like Cher to be doing, <laughs> yeah. And um, and she decided, or say it was decided that the that the most appropriate video frame in which to showcase this particular extraordinarily overblown tune would be on the deck of a of a of a battleship, an American battleship. Yes. Moored in the in the on the Hudson, I think. Yeah, on the Hudson in in New York, and so she appears there, uh, surrounded by sailors. It always works. It work, half, works though, doesn't a, it? A half naked woman surrounded by yeah. sailors. Sailors wearing kind of tropical kit. You know that kind of white. Yeah. Whites that they adopt in in really sunny climes, not in yeah. not in New York. Forces favourite, yeah. Forces favourite, and and you know, at one stage in case, and, and she was wearing one of those one of those um, you know extraordinary costumes, which is beyond abbreviation. You know, where they kind of. You know, it appears you have a kind of cheese wire making its way through <laughs> it. 
her nether regions covering (laughs) her modesty. It's just absolutely amazing. And, And at one stage, in case we hadn't sufficiently got the point of the phallic nature of, you know, flouncing around on the deck of a battleship, she actually poses a stride and naval gun. gun. A stride and naval gun. Let's be clear about this. And who is, Mark, who is playing the lead guitar solo on that video? I'm pretty sure it's her son, Elijah Blue Allman. How old was Elijah Blue Allman on that occasion? 15 or something like that, would he? 12, Mark. No, 12. no, no. He is That's 12. It's a, it's the most, it's the most, oh, mum moment. Yeah, you've oh, ever, no. it, it, just, it, it's embarrassing. <laughs> we'll catch cold. <laughs> oh, Christ. The greatest nightmare of a 12-year-old boy ought to be having to appear, you know, miming the guitar solo. With his mother thrashing about on a a, a, a a gun barrel, on a naval gun, (laughs) wearing wearing an outfit from Fredericks of Hollywood, but that is that is Cher. And so, when did I say that was? Nineteen eighty nine. Eighty nine. So you know, so you know how? What is it? Thirty. It's more than thirty years later. She's still at it, isn't she? So Cher was a person. He kind of. Didn't she supposedly retire a few years ago and then just kept doing it, didn't she? I think she did. She I started, think, yeah, I'm pretty sure she did. She, she started, kind of, uh, this is the last time around. This is going to the last time I'm going to do this, you know. I'm going to go out there and just give the boys, give the boys in the back room what the boys want, you know, give them the old hits. And it was such a success. She did it in Las Vegas. Then she toured it. Then she took it back to Las Vegas. And she's touring it again. Who can blame her? Absolutely. There's that old gag, is there, about the end of the world. You know, when uh, when the world melts down in some terrible kind of nuclear explosion, they all will be left with some particularly uh, hardy species of insects. And Cher, because Cher was (laughs) comprised almost entirely from uh, (laughs) non-natural body parts. (laughs) There it is. The Word Podcast. Clearly... There is no plan. So there's a brilliant story this week um, about a Drake track. I'm sure you're following this called uh, mm. IDGAF, I Don't Give a Fuck, uh, which starts with uh, a kind of spacey incantation uh, of a woman's voice going, travelling forever in the dark, darkness into blackness. And this was a sample from a 1977 uh, album track called The Tunnel from an album by the group Azimuth. And uh, and it appears on Drake's new album for all the dogs, and it's so far that track has got 127 million plays on Spotify. So it's doing all right. But the the, the person who whose voice it is, it's just such a good story, really. She's 82 year old jazzer uh, living in Deal in Kent, and just got a call a few months ago from Drake's people saying, "Would it be all right if we um, if we use this sample?" So she turns to her son, who's the uh, who's the drummer of um, with Hot Chip, 
and says, I don't know who Drake is. And she said, he says, mum, go along with it. Seriously. Yes. Is, the answer is, is yes. This is a genuinely really good thing that's happening. <laughs> mum say yes. I know. And it's just such a great story because she's kind of got quite an interesting career. She's uh, a lot of those people who, who, uh, who, who post uh, Instagram things, records now playing, you know, t- t- tend to kind of like her kind of stuff. You know, she's a real kind of crate diggers, uh, 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 classic. And some of the old albums fetch about £2,000 on eBay. But she was part of these various improvisational jazz groups. And uh, and it just, I love the idea, we've talked about this so many times, that the internet means that nothing is ever forgotten. Nothing's and then also, there are those possibilities for huge paydays that you just never dreamed of. So there it is. What is that? Nearly, it's nearly, nearly 60 years later? So what over... Were we, were, we, were we talking to? Oh, we we're talking to Bernie Marsden, weren't we? Yeah, uh, not that long ago. Sadly, Bernie passed away a few months ago, and Bernie had uh, he'd written a song when he was in White Snake, or he co-written a song. Yeah, uh, which then after he'd left White Snake, then reformed White Snake, did it again, and it was a huge hit. And uh, you know, so he meant he 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 always got he always got a check, and he he we were talking we were talking to him about it. He said, "Yeah, it's mailbox money. It's the best money in the world. Mailbox money. Mailbox money. It's just the stuff you're not expecting. It just turns up, and there's so many cases of this. And you know, if you take if you take a song like Every Breath You Take, which obviously was a huge hit for the police." But was probably a bigger hit when it was sampled by this P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, wasn't it? I, yeah. I, I can't remember what. Yeah, but it, it was. It was, you know, it was, it was even bigger because the paydays just get bigger all the time. And Phil Manzanera, again, who we were talking to on, on Word in Your Ear, you know, a year or so ago, he, he one of his old, um, uh, he, he made an album called K Scope, for which he did nothing. Um, but Jay Z and Kanye West one lick, one of his yeah. old licks just got sampled on on No Church in the Wild, and he said at the time that he was owed he was owed six figures. He felt uh, I don't know if he ever made it. He said, but that's more than he made in fifteen years in Roxy Music. It's fantastic, isn't it? That's the way it is. I love so, that. So here's the possibility. And Enya, Enya as well was. Uh, I think. Uh, the Fuji's Ready or Not has got a oh, huge right, amount yes, of Enya on it, and she makes it, I can't remember what percentage of the royalties she gets, like a huge amount. But the thing is, don't give up. And the other, I tell you who else we talked about. The Madonna song. Do you remember Madonna? Oh, Ray of Light, yeah. yeah. Ray the of guy, Light. The guys from, the song. Uh, yeah, from, uh, well, they used it from, um, oh, God, <laughs> I've forgotten the name of the, the, the two guys. Uh, Curtis Muldoon. Curtis Muldoon, Dave Curtis and Clive Muldoon. Were were former members of Bodast. He used to be in a group of Bodast with with Steve Howe, and they made a record on on Purple, Deep Purple's label. Did nothing at all, um, but um, one of them died, and uh, Clive Muldoon died. Dave Curtis, um, it was he kind of retired from the business, and um, but Clive Muldoon's niece was Christine Leach. Who worked with William Orbit, and she played William Orbit a little tape from this Curtis Muldoon record made in 1971, I think. 
uh, disappeared without trace. And he sampled it and uh, uh, and then was working with Madonna <laughs> on Ray of Light. And so the line out, Ray of Light, I feel like I've just been born, came from that Curtis Muldoon That's record right. in 1971. So they ended up, well, he, Dave Curtis did and Clive Muldoon's estate widow, whatever, did. Um, ended up making a fortune. I love that. I love stories like that. And I mean, Norma Winston, Norma Winston's not kind of, uh, you know, forgotten. She's had a, a reasonably successful career. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's a really name well, I knew. Yeah, yeah. Very well admired. But, yeah, but listen, isn't but that this fantastic is be a bonus? Isn't yeah. that a wonderful thing? It is. To happen to somebody in the, you know, what is she, 82? She's 82. 82. I'm sorry. At the end of a long career in music, you yeah. know, which is will no doubt have contained more than its share of completely hand-to-mouth periods, that can happen. It can happen, you know. It doesn't happen to everybody, although it could be. You know, in the fullness of time on but the kind of monkeys and typewriters principle. <laughs> <laughs> it might happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Anybody's tune could get picked up, you know, just Which hoping it's in your lifetime. You know, no, because no, before, if your career was over, your kind of career felt over and uh, you couldn't well, imagine it's also get resurrected, you know. But no, okay, here's a question, and I don't expect you didn't know the answer, but somebody listening out there might know the answer. What was the first sample? What was the first case of sampling? Because nobody did it in the 60s, did they? That's nobody really did it in point. the 50s. Yeah. You know, they, it must have started in the 70s. I have absolutely no idea. Well, it's certainly, I mean, Grandmaster Flash, 1982, etc. there would have been samples on the those thing, records. But things like, you know, Vampire Freddy and all those Kind of things, you know, they they they're late seventies, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, so does it start with hip hop, or was it, or was anybody doing it before? I'm not aware. If you happen to know, get in touch. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.